Good evening and welcome again to Disabulletin. I'm Abe Shapiro. This evening we continue our discussion by asking Professor Sanders about Televsky's and Marion's Health and Hospital Corporation's arguments before the court. Professor Sanders also provides a history of the court's historical rulings regarding Section 1983, the statute that this case seeks to address. We turn now to that interview. Tulevsky is saying that 1983 provides implied rights, perhaps, even if it's not stipulated. It's an implied right to sue? So he's saying, he's saying I have a right. And what's implied is my uh, my my cause of action, my my right to sue. In other words, there's there's a so this is getting into the weeds a little bit in this, but it is an important thing to pursue. It's one thing to say I have a right. It's another thing to say I have what is sometimes called a, rather than a right to sue to avoid using the term right in two different senses. Let's say I have a cause of action. I have the power to come into court. There are lots of ways in which federal laws often create certain obligations upon um, uh, uh, government entities uh, or, 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 or any kind of entity, but that doesn't necessarily mean that if my rights are violated, I have to, uh, rights. So let me give you a quick example. So sure. federal privacy law, FERPA, the statute, the Federal Educational Privacy Law, you know, basically says, you know, Indiana University or, or really any university, it doesn't have to be a private university, can't just like willy-nilly share a student's grades or transcript or private information about them. That information is private, and, and the university is obligated to maintain it confidentiality, confidentially, and only people with a need to know are entitled to receive it. Okay, let's say the university, I'm a student, the university gives out my information. You might think, oh, they violated my rights. I can sue in those circumstances, but no. Um, courts have pretty consistently said, you know, there may be, you know, the federal government can cut off the funds to that institution, or can the federal government may have other ways of punishing that institution, but just because the federal government says you must keep this person's information private does not necessarily give that person a cause of action, a right to sue if it's violated. Um, and, and that's where I said the court's conservatives in, the, in recent decades have become much more interested in, main, in, in maintaining that boundary. Now, Congress could always say, and any student whose private information is revealed may come into court and file a lawsuit. If Congress does that, okay, that's fine. But courts should not imply that just because the law imposes certain obligations on the university, that a student's uh, a privacy is violated gets to sue. We don't want the courts to be used unless Congress has provided a clear authorization to sue. So that is related to this case, except in this case, Mr. Tulevsky is saying, you know, it, it's not just that the federal law said, like, my information has to be kept private. It, it basically was more than that. It, it created rights. It used the term right. Um, or use language clearly implying that nursing home residents had specific rights under federal law. And that rights-creating language, together with 
1983 that says if your rights under the constitutional laws are violated, you may sue, but that is sufficient. We're not, the court is saying, we're, the, the, Mr. Tlebsky's estate is saying, we're not implying a cause of action here. We're not implying a right to sue in a way that the court has been disapproving of. The statute creates rights, and 1983 itself provides the cause of action, provides the authorization to come into court. Well, let me ask you as well, with regard to, and I know that this has been a debate for some time, what would you say is the legal precedent in the past uh, regarding this issue of 1983? As I know that uh, there have been many uh, court cases that have shifted with regard to this issue in the past. Uh, What would you say has been the trajectory of it? Where has it shifted? Where uh, has it gone back? Has, you know, has it always been a one-sided definition of 1983? Well, so an interesting thing about 1983, what, what has come down to us today, what we refer to as 1983, is that actual language was approved by Congress back in 1871. For a lot of different reasons, it really never got much action. It didn't get used a lot. It wasn't until 1961 that a a very important case called Monroe versus Pape, it involved Chicago police breaking into a black man's home and doing all sorts of illegal things, searches and arrests and so forth. It wasn't until 1961 that the Supreme Court said, this opens, this statute opens the courthouse door to people like Mr. Monroe, who are victims of government abuse, to be able to file an, an action for damages and a request in federal court for damages. So the, the, the modern use and significance of 1983 as a weapon in the arsenal of civil rights lawyers to seek damages for people whose constitutional rights are violated, really that doesn't begin until relatively recently, 1961. So it's really a a, a product of the last 60 years or so. And then it was in 1980 when when the Supreme Court agreed with the proposition that 1983 provided a cause of action, a right to come into court and sue for deprivations not only of constitutional rights, but of statutory rights as well, exactly the kind of thing we're talking about in this case. There were some later cases in the late 1980s and around 1990 that narrowed that principle a little bit, but it still arguably exists. The court has never completely backed away from that. Now, what was there in common in the 1960s and then in in 1980 when the court... Uh, extended 1983 to statutory claims. That was a time when the Supreme Court was still much more, um, frankly, open to um, the creation of legal rights. Um, the uh, the the uh, Health and Hospitals Corporation here says it's only when the rights revolution of the 1960s and 70s came into full force that the court began to expand access to courts through judicially implied private rights of action. Now, you and I might think, well, that's a good thing. I don't see anything negative about that statement. But, you know, in the eyes of judicial conservatives, this rights revolution, this idea of federal courts creating things that it was at best unclear that Congress intended to do, a more conservative Supreme Court, a more conservative federal judiciary has increasingly looked on that with 
skepticism. So I think I think the best understanding of this case before the Supreme Court is that when it comes to the state of current law, like what we have, what the Supreme Court said, not terribly recently, but, you know, 30, 35 years ago, is that Mr. Tlebsky still, you know, should have the right to sue. I think what's going on is Health and Hospitals Corporation and the um, organizations and interest groups that are supporting its position are trying to appeal to a more conservative Supreme Court to essentially narrow or eliminate the circumstances under which a lawsuit is possible here. Right. And so how did we get to this point where it was gradually narrowed over time? So prior to 1980s case... And and what case was that specifically? What what was the case situation? Main, Maine versus Thibodeau, Thibodeau. Uh, which is a 1980 case, which said that, um, that 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 the Section 1983 cause of action, which remember had only been really revivified less than 20 years ago, and in 1961 with Monroe versus Pape, and the court is still trying to figure out what does this mean, what are the parameters of this right to sue. The court agreed that statutorily created rights were candidates for lawsuits as well in this case in 1980. But then, you know, the, the court in the, in the later cases that clarified that sort of said, you know, well, but, you know, it has to be really absolutely clear that the law was intended to create a quote-unquote right. In other words, there are lots of ways that federal law tells you know, businesses and government agencies and individuals, you may do this, you may not do that. Um, but we're looking here for specific examples where a law not only dictates behavior or regulates behavior, but appears to create an individual right in someone. That's the argument here, is that the Medicaid law not just provides a flow of money from Washington to the Health and Hospitals Corporation, an essential part of that was to create rights in people who are living in those residencies. And so in later cases, the court became just more strict about sort of how we know when somebody is uh, uh, the, 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 the recipient of a, of a legal right under a statute, thus giving them the ability under 1983 to come into court. But the court never backed away from or repudiated the basic principle that 1983 may be used to vindicate and receive damages related to statutory rights as well as constitutional rights. It's just, I think, Health and Hospitals Corporation here is trying to, you know, take that somewhat narrowing, somewhat shrinking opportunity for suit and close it all together. I think that would be an unfortunate consequence of the of the case. And as is so often the situation, when things get to the Supreme Court, it's really no longer just a fight between one party and another. It's a fight about larger legal principles. And so um, if you look at the docket for the case, you see that Health and Hospitals Corporation is supported by uh, groups like the National Conference of State Legislatures, by the state of Indiana specifically, uh, by the American Health Care Association. These are organizations who have their own institutional interests in limiting their exposure to lawsuits under laws like the Medicaid law. 
On the other hand, Mr. Talevsky is supported by friend of the court briefs, amicus curiae briefs from, um, you know, various civil rights organizations, from the American Public Health Association, uh, from the Trial Lawyers Association, um, you know, the Indiana Disability Rights Organization, all organizations that have a larger institutional interest in keeping as broad a scope as possible for people to be able to file federal lawsuits.